Thanks for joining us for part one of our two-part Seifarth Shaw Policy Matters podcast, post-paid program, What's a Good Faith Employer to Do? Broadly, the first part of the podcast discusses the paid program's objectives and some of the case law underlying the problems paid look to solve. The second part looks to what employers can do to resolve wage and hour issues post-paid and the approach President Biden's administration may take to self-audit programs and liquidated damages. For full context, we recommend listening to both pieces in order. Thanks for joining us for our Cypher Shaw Policy Matters podcast, post-paid program, what's a good faith employer to do? I'm Scott Hecker, Senior Counsel in Cypher's DC office. I'm a member of the firm's labor and employment group with a focus on workplace safety, wage hour, and government relations and policy. Prior to joining the firm, I spent about 12 years in various positions with the USDOL Solicitor's Office and Wage and Hour Division. Today, I'm joined on the podcast by LME partner Kevin Young from the firm's Atlanta office. Kevin provides SAGE counsel and, when needed, high-stakes litigation support to employers in the wage and hour arena. He's familiar with the inner workings of PAID, having discussed the program with numerous clients. Thanks for being here today, Kevin. For hey, thanks for having me, Scott. I'm not... looking forward to it. Absolutely. For those who uh, may not be familiar with the Payroll Audit Independent Determination, or PAID program, DOL had in the past touted it as a program that resolves potential overtime and minimum wage violations under the Fair Labor Standards Act, with the primary objectives to resolve such claims quickly and without litigation, to improve employers' compliance, and to ensure that more employees receive the back wages they are owed faster. But shortly after President Biden was inaugurated, the Wage and Hour Division decided that paid, quote, deprived workers of their rights and put employers that play by the rules at a disadvantage. Having launched in May 2018, paid had a short run, but in that time it secured more than 7 million in back wages for more than 11,000 workers. I'll be honest, as Kevin knows, I detailed to the Wage and Hour Division to launch paid, and I always thought it provided an avenue to recover wages that the division wouldn't have otherwise had the resources to find. It wasn't a perfect program for employees or employers, but it seems to me recovering some wages rather than none is the preferred option. Of course, many Democratic state attorneys general and members of Congress disagreed with me. And no one's naming me wage and hour administrator, so what do I know? Kevin, without paid or some other self-audit mechanism, how can employers resolve good faith errors in their minimum wage and overtime payment practices to make sure they're taking care of their impacted employees? Yeah, Scott, yeah, I think that's certainly the big question, big question here and it's the reason we're here. I, I think to, to unpack that, which we can certainly do today, I think it's important to first start with you know, where does this framework come from? Where does the problem come from that, that paid was trying to resolve? A lot of clients who have dealt with these sort of things, or a lot of employers who have dealt with these sort of things, I should say, have heard something to the effect of, you know, settlements of claims under the FLSA aren't enforceable unless they're approved by a court or supervised by the Department of Labor. That makes these kinds of claims really different from a lot of other employment-related claims that employers face. This idea that you can resolve it when you when you identify an issue but only in a specific way, only in a way that, that, that's kind of prescribed by a court or by the Department of Labor. So where does that come from? Without uh, going too academic on the issue, and there's plenty of space to be academic on this sort of topic, there's been a long line of case law that's developed 
since almost since the act was was passed back in 1938 that says essentially there's this this public and, and private dual purpose behind the FLSA. And part of what, what we want to prevent and part of what we're trying to resolve is unequal bargaining power between employers and employees. Courts that have observed that purpose behind the FLSA, behind the act, have said, look, you know, if we have a construct where employers can force employees without much oversight to take much less than they're arguably entitled to under the FLSA, then we're essentially eroding one of the act's core purposes. I think it's fair to point out, though, that it's one of the situations where bad facts can make bad law. Um, one of the, the most notable cases that came out in, 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 in establishing this framework, the FLSA settlements can only be enforceable if they follow one of two paths, either you know, judicial approval or DLL supervision, is a case called Lens Food Stores. It's an 11th Circuit case. So 11th Circuit, as, as most listeners probably know, covers Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. The case is about 40 years old at this point, and the case involved a private settlement, a private release of FLSA claims in a situation where the employees, it, it, it later came out, didn't speak English and the release was in English, weren't aware of the FLSA, didn't really know what it was all about, and, and, and weren't represented by counsel either. And on those facts, the 11th Circuit uh, really it wasn't the first to speak to this framework, but it's become one of the most cited decisions in saying that you know, FLSA settlements, private settlements, need to be overseen, whether by a court or by the Department of Labor. There's been questions for a long time, well, you know, what if the facts were different? You know, what if it was a represented employee? Um, you know, what if it was not as bad of a slate of facts as Lens Foods? And those, those questions have gone in different ways. You know, there's a Fifth Circuit decision uh, out of Texas. Uh, called Martin versus, I think, Spring Break 83. It's a fun case to think about what the employees were probably doing on that one, but I think it was a movie production crew, actually. And, um, you know, on that one, the Fifth Circuit took a different view, but the facts were much different. The employees were represented, they understood the FLSA, so on and so forth. Bottom line, though, uh, whether it's good law or bad law, there's this construct that's proliferated throughout the country that says if you're an employer and you identify an issue under the Act, if you want to have a valid release, there's the two paths you need to go down to, 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 to get a valid release. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's what PAID was designed to kind of provide another avenue, as you said. There are, these, there are just these two avenues that are both relatively costly. I mean, you're either inviting a, a government investigation in to try and resolve something that you're already wanting to fix, or you're initiating litigation with, with PAID, um, you know, the the release was narrowly tailored. It was, you you know, the employer identified the issue and the release was narrowly tailored to that issue. Beyond that, employees didn't have to sign it. You know, they, they could maintain their right of action and bring their own claim if they felt like, oh, well, I don't know what else you've done wrong or, you know, you're, you say you're trying to fix this, but how do we know? Or I want my liquidated damages, which we'll get into in a second. But, you know, all of those were were certainly considerations and, and kind of um, targets of, of uh, people who were not supportive of the program. Um, but, I mean, I do think the narrow, the narrow tailored release and the ability to bring your own claim were two things that were trying to uh, address that balance of power issue that you were discussing.
Looking forward to continuing the discussion in part two, during which we'll address how employers should approach resolving wage and hour issues now that the program's off the table, and what approach the Biden administration may take to self-audit and liquidated damages. Thanks to everyone for joining us on the Policy Matters podcast. To our listeners, please check out all our content on the CIFARTH website, including part two of this episode, and reach out to your friendly neighborhood CIFARTH attorneys with any questions. One more programming note, CIFARTH's Government Relations and Policy Group will present a webinar on Tuesday, March 23rd at 2 p.m. Eastern. Kevin and I will both be there to discuss the Biden administration's labor and employment enforcement activities. Please register on CIFARTH's website to join live or keep an eye on the website for the post-webinar recording.